Hello, and welcome to episode 9 of Man vs. Business. My name is Les Janes, and I'm here with my co-host, Sean McManaman. This week, Sean and I are exploring the estimating function. So with that, let's go ahead and start the show. So, uh, Sean, we're going to talk about estimating today, and uh, I kind of think of estimating as having two extreme ends. Um, you know, in, in one in the one hand, you've got estimating that you do from uh, a history standpoint, uh, where you're actually taking old work and you're reviewing it and you're coming up with a new estimate. At the other end of the spectrum, I think you've got um, uh, very advanced applications that can um, calculate. Uh, your processes, calculate your labor, and pull your material based on bills and materials. So I think that's the other end of the spectrum. Um, So I think we're going to try to review uh, what estimating should look like or could look like in your environment uh, if you are a company that needs to estimate. Right. I think estimating less is... uh it's an interesting, interesting function. Where does it belong? Who should, who should do it? How do you come up with, basically that's what it is, how do you come up with the cost that your sales team uses as, as an understanding of where they need to put margin on top of it for the sales price to the customer? So, um, so, why, don't we talk, so why don't we talk about the department first? Um, if you think about whether you should or should have an estimating department, um, usually there's two key players involved. You've got your, you know, your salespeople, the estimators, and then of course you've got the production group that supplies the labor half of the of the estimate. So one of the questions is: is do you really need a an estimating department? Yeah, I think. When you look at how much effort it's going to take to come up with the cost, if you're doing, if, if your product is a a custom manufactured or custom assembled product, um, yeah, you really have to look at the amount of work necessary to come up with the costs and, and to come up with them as quick as your market demands, uh, so that the salesperson can have the answers to the customer, you know, when when they need it. Um, I think. That, that's one of the drivers, one of the drivers as to whether or who does the estimate. So volume. The other, yeah, the volume and, and the other the other function in this equation is uh, how sophisticated are the tools that you have in generating the costs of your product. So so both of those things, I think, weigh in in favor of, of either having a separate group or, or, you know, a person supporting the sales team or, or if the tools are good enough, have the sales team use the tools that, uh, that are at their fingertips and generate the estimate uh, as quick as they need it for answers to the customer. So, so when you talk, those are the two main categories. So when you talk about um, uh, sophisticated tools, I guess um, – you know, the, an ERP system could be one part of it. Having an Excel spreadsheet could be another part of it. Uh, heck, you could be estimating on a paper napkin for, you know, all we know. Um, <laughs> that would be, uh, you know, 
I've, although I've seen that happen quite a few times, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you talk about sophistication of the tools, um, are you talking about to what level of details those tools are supporting your estimating effort? And uh, if so, is would the goal be to put those tools in the salespeople's hands, the application engineers or the salespeople's hands? Would that be the goal, or would you think that keeping a department would be a good way to go. And like you said, it probably does come down to volume, but, uh, you know, well, how did the tools you know, play I'll, into this? I'll also always try to revert back to who needs it, who needs it and who, who can do it. Uh, if we, if we go back and talk about lean enterprise and, and, uh, you know, getting the most value added work, um, I guess, you know, you, you would have to look and see what is the value add for the salesperson to generate that estimate. If, if it, if it um, reduces the handoffs, then, then you can consider it, I think, a valuable part of, like an application engineer. So, you know, in the engineering world where you have kind of in-house salespeople that are pulling these things together based on a specification, it, it, it might be more advantageous to have that person with a good set of tools generate the cost of the job and then and then the outside person whether it's a sales rep or or a company sponsored salesperson where they're they're in front of the customer they know they know then what the sales price should be based on a good estimate from from the application engineer so rather than having handoffs i think i think doing the work at the location where it's needed is where I would like to drive things, if it makes sense. I mean, it's not a hard, fast rule. Sure, sure. And, and I think you're right. I think from a, a cycle time standpoint, your first choice of having it at uh, point of activity uh, would be your, your, your best choice, in my opinion. Of course, you do get into the debate of whether you've got a salesperson now doing administrative-style activities, especially if you're estimating tools are very automated. Now, if your tools are not automated at all and you're doing a lot of research, then you're right. You've got to figure out how to have the expert closer uh, to the information um, so you can't just take somebody off the street to, to por- perform these, you know, these estimates. You, you need to have that expert there, so to speak. Right. So I'm, try- I'm trying to think of an example and, and look at what has happened in the, the food industry, you know, like, Eating out, you go to certain burger places, and in line there's computers, and it says you want a burger, you want lettuce, and you want tomatoes and pickles, and you're 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 basically selecting through the the system that they have on what product you want. That information is going directly to production, and then out the back end comes the burger that you ordered. So so in in industry, the customer doesn't really want to do that, and the customer's got, you know, specifications and codes and things like that that have to be, that have to be uh, adhered to, but if a tool like ordering hamburger can be generated in your ERP system, now I think we've gone to that far end of, of the spectrum, right. you've got a system that, that everybody can operate under um, and generate information based on the research, not, not the research, but the investment that you've done before. We, we've talked about this in, in other podcasts. It's a matter of leadership 
and investment. Right. So if you want if you want something to happen fast and you want to have good information, you've got to put the investment in. So think about it. You don't want the customer to to go to the, some screen and you know select everything that they want. The customer you don't want the customer to do that. You want people to interact with the customer. But would it be best to have your salesperson who's interacting with the customer be able to enter that those requirements into into the system that will generate the cost and have have a sales price, you know, for the guy within, you know, either a, a, a lunchtime meeting or you know the next day, whatever whatever you need in your industry. So um, it might it might sound Pollyanna that you can you can generate you know a cost in your estimating function that fast. Um, but it all depends on what what industry you're in. Well, and I some, also some. I also think it has to do a lot with uh, the level of detail. So one of the concerns I always have with uh, performing estimates is what level of detail is good enough. Um, you know, you've got you've got definitely a lot of different levels of of detail where you can do just here's your labor and here's your material and you're and you're done. Uh, or you can figure out exactly what makes up that list of material and what exactly makes up that that routing and understand your level of labor and put together something more more accurate and more detailed. I kind of I kind of think about it as that um, you know the the two lines converging and and then in space and time do those lines actually ever connect to each other? Well, estimates kind of the same thing. Do you ever get to the perfect estimate? I would say no because you've got, you know, you've got uh, the world or, or life involved. You know, life has got, you know, chaos and it has things that you can't plan for, you know. So obviously you can't get down to perfection, especially on something that's pretty complicated. You can't, you can't uh, deal with all the, all the variations or all the, all the uh, issues that could come up. Now, should that stop us from trying to get there? No. Uh, but, right, but uh, I, I do think understanding. That, yeah, I do think you've got to work through that. Yeah, and, and understanding tolerances, you know, or, or sensitivity. We talked a little earlier about, um, you know, what what is the sensitivity of of the impact on moving the cost? You know, a half percent, one percent, or two percent. Um, right. But do you do you put in a contingency number? Now, of course, everybody's trying to win a bid win a bid and, and it's got to be, you know, the, the low cost or whatever. Um, so you can't be throwing money at your estimate because you're not sure of what you've done in the, in the past. You don't know how much actually your costs are going to be. So you try to, you try to peanut butter spread some kind of uh, margin over it. But what I, what I would say is that you've got to think ahead with the customers that you have. And by thinking ahead, I mean, put the customers into categories. If you've got, a customer who you've done work with in the past, you've got a good relationship, but you do have competition, well, you build your estimating tool or you, you, you spend as much time as necessary to get the right cost and then sales price um, to win that job. And really, you know, when, when you think about it, the cost is what the cost is going to be. When it comes to leadership, management, and the salesperson, the customer is willing to pay X dollars. It's a matter of how confident you are when you when you calculate the next profit you're going to get from that project. So the thing is, the thing is, the estimate the estimate 
only really reassures you on how much margin you're going to get. Um, and maybe maybe now is a good time to make sure that everybody understands that you know the, the cost and then the profit, which which you call margin, um, adds up to what the sales price is. And if you look at it backwards, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a a times B equals C and C divided by B equals A. So the customer's only going to pay a certain amount of money. If you can do that for X dollars, then, then you've got Y margin and makes your management happy. If, if your margin is X times two and you've got less margin, well, then your management's not going to be happy and you have to look and see, well, is it worth doing that project as opposed to another project where you could have more profit because businesses are in the in the business to make money and 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 not being greedy or anything like that but the thing is you have to have you have to have margin to continue the business and invest in the business so not that this is a, a financial discussion but I think looking at customers going back to the original question less looking at customers and figuring out how how hard you have to look at the cost of your goods to get a reasonable margin is what you have to do. So if you've got a customer, like like I said, you've got that one customer that you do business with and you work with, okay, so you understand what you have to do for that customer. If you've got somebody calling you that says, hey, I need a, I need an estimate tomorrow and you've never heard from this person before, you're probably going to spend less time on that job just because resources are limited and and get a good idea of what your costs are. Put, put a little fudge factor on it and send the guy a number and say, hey, how can we keep the conversation going because you want to keep the conversation going. You just don't want to spend a whole lot of time on an estimate and a price to a customer who's never going to call you again. Right. So you believe that there's, there's different, uh, amount of work that you should put on estimates based on, uh, what you believe your relationship is with that customer and, or your confidency level that you may or may not get the work. I think I think that's the right way to look at that job. You, you shouldn't you shouldn't shotgun in in you know most applications. You shouldn't just shotgun bids, throwing numbers out at everybody. You should be selective in who you bid and how you bid those jobs. Okay. So now you brought up a minute ago, you know the uh, the estimating of both material and labor. So when you when you look at material, I think that that's the easier side. Of the estimate. So, if you've got a sales guy or an estimating person diving into the details, material, I think we can both agree is is kind of the easier half of of this process. Uh, it's basically your bill of material that you're trying to build. Uh, part numbers. If you've got a good part numbering system, then I think that uh, you've got something to start with there. The difficulty lies over usually on the labor side, and I think that with with labor. Um, you've definitely got to understand your business. You've got to understand your capabilities, uh, and you've got to be able to turn that information into something that uh, can be used, uh, you know, up front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm trying to think of an example again. And I go back to now, like a lawyer. A lawyer, a lawyer will charge you by the hour. So it's it's effectively time and materials, as materials are paper, but time. And, and, you know, in industrial equipment, you know, you can't do that. You've got to give a, a lump sum cost. So figuring out the labor is, is a tough application if you're doing 
difficult work that is uh, custom all the time. Right. So, so breaking it down into smaller pieces, I think, is is what you have to look at and have and, and assign somebody that understands, like you said, the the knowledge, somebody with the knowledge of what you do and how it's done to come up with that labor estimate. And without a doubt, because there are so many different variations in a custom piece of equipment, you've got to you've got to capture certain chunks of it so that you have a, a, a good high probability of it being accurate for that smaller piece. So that way, that way you can understand what's different from your, your, your standard or your normal process. And once you understand what's different, then you can adjust the estimate to cover those differences. Yeah. So there was two, two other things that I was wanting to bring up. Um, one was, do you think that having an estimating person uh, has the positive impact of keeping some neutrality? So we've talked a lot about uh, a salesperson actually doing the the estimate, but there is kind of a dual-edged sword here in that having the sales guy do the estimate, you know, is he truly taking in production's capabilities when he's doing that estimate, or is he just doing what he knows the customer wants to hear? Uh, so by adding a, an estimating person or a department, there is the potential of setting up some checks and balances, some neutrality. Of course, you know we we all agree that if the if we were able to run a business perfectly, we wouldn't need people like quality either. You know, so uh, I do think that um, there is a positive aspect to possibly keeping a neutral person in you know doing and performing estimates. You know, what's your thought on that? I hear you, and I understand in, in earlier conversations, you know, I joked with you about, you know, trusting people and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> we, we both, yeah, you know, if you, you have the untoward people that will uh, try to get away with, you know, having their cake and eating it too. Murder. Um, but, well, <laughs> all right, I won't, I won't go there. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, I go back to, like we said last week, there have to be adults in the house, so you've yeah. got leadership. You've got leadership that, that, you know, sets expectations and sets metrics and, and rewards people for what they do. And and it's not an easy task. That's why these managers get paid a little more money. Not an easy task, but that the guidelines for who does what and why they do it has to be looked after by the leadership. So so if you if you have that question, it's a legitimate question, Les. You know, would, would somebody try to to um, set the cards right, you know, before something goes so that they've got a better chance at, at you know, being highly compensated or whatever the ultimate goal is? Um, so is it worth hiring somebody else to do that or to give somebody else in the organization a collateral duty of, of estimating just because you don't trust somebody I, I, I go back to, if you know what, if you can't trust somebody, that means the leadership has failed in in how they've positioned people and the process in order to get the job get the job done right. So take you know? that take this this uh, this logic a little bit further. So if you have the sales guy um, responsible for the estimate, then obviously you would probably want to hold that sales guy accountable for his his margins. Now, by doing that, 
you might be getting what you want on the margin side, but then do you now have the byproduct of that sales guy project managing his job through the environment, trying to make sure that he gains the margin that he sold, and by doing that, he's now not selling. So I think right. I, I think my only point to that is is we've really got to be careful uh, what we try to set up. I'm I'm not necessarily uh, an advocate for either one per se. I do think that you know you've got to make the decision that's right for your environment, right for your type of work, right for your volume. So I think there's lots of different things that play into whether you need a um, an estimating person or whether you can rely on um, uh, your sales guy or if you've got some sort of hybrid in between. You know, maybe you've got some estimators that, you know, the goal is is to move them up into sales rankings and your pathway for doing that is um, having them perform estimates which teaches them the sales process and now when they move into sales, they've got a better grasp of the product. So I think you can be creative on, on how that functions. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think uh, you need to be creative to support your own organization because you can't you can't have too much cost and, and overhead cost by hiring you know ten people to do you know a job that if if you built some tools and, and had a good process could take care of itself. Um, yeah, on the on the sales guy side, yeah, I don't want the sales guy project managing and buying no, or doing uh, anything else checking in. But I, I go back to again the tools. The tools should should report back up through the sales team and the project team how things are going and if there is a deviation from what the path was that you know a given job was set out on. Right. So if and and you know any any margin degradation from what was expected has to be answered. So quickly, there was one other thing I wanted to touch on, and that was if you are building tools, you obviously have to have data to support those tools. Any thoughts on who should manage the data and manage the tools? You know, obviously, you need to improve your tools at times. You need to update your cost information. You need, if you've made an improvement in your shop floor, you may or may not need to show that in your estimating tool. You know, um, you know. One thought is having estimators that manage that, but uh, you know, you you brought up some other areas that could do that also. Yeah, and I, and I think you know that was a, that was a good segue into you know the reporting. How how do you get those reports up to the people that need them so that they can adjust? They can adjust on either the estimate or the sales price or the scope. Right. Um, so the data should come because you do you do win jobs and you buy components. So that means that you've got actual costs for those components. So I agree that that somebody then has to analyze the data on jobs that have come in, compare that to you know what we're quoting, and make sure that what we're quoting is as accurate as possible based on on actuals. Um, I, I think if if the organization has some kind of analyst, whether it's a financial planning analyst or a cost analysis or analyst or something like that, you know, not just for, you know, the group, you know, accounting usually has a whole bunch of people that do, you know, analyst work. Can, can, can it be a collateral duty of somebody from accounting who's got an analytical mind along with the understanding of what the product is and how it, how it goes through the process, have that person be in charge of 
taking the data out of the system, however it's being however it's being captured, and providing that information to the operations and the sales teams to make sure that they are on the same on the same path. The other the other area, at least for for um, the material side of it, you know, maybe somebody in the purchasing group, you know, purchasing is buying this stuff and they're trying to get the best price. Can they get a can they get a better price than what the estimate had? And well, if they do. If they do, the question is, hey, does the estimate does the estimate go lower, or do you understand that, hey, we've got some built-in margin on these components because we actually can buy them, we can buy them a little a little lower than what uh, what is estimated, or you know, do you put that in there for uh, you know longer-term projects where you don't know what the escalation could be? Well, I'm definitely more of a fan on the purchasing idea than I am the accounting. Uh, idea just just because I think accounting departments seem to get too large as it is, but uh, that's just a. I think that's <laughs> well, a personal that's problem. I think that's a personal right, problem. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. They've got so many people that they could spare a guy for or a person for. Yeah, but isn't that sad day. though? That is so much overhead. Well, there's there's another. Right. That's that's a topic for another day. So yeah, um, yeah. why don't we uh, wrap this up with our with our picks for the week? So uh, what was your pick for this week? My pick is a podcast, and I, and I know it's on the radio, and, and, and it comes off of NPR, and I, I, do, I will say that I don't listen to a whole lot of NPR, but <laughs> I, do, I do download a podcast. Um, it's called uh, The Ted Radio Hour with, with Guy Raz, and, and the guy that moderates it, um, his, his name is Guy, Guy Raz. He, he, he's got a great voice, and he takes, he takes a topic... And the topic then is supported by a bunch of different TED speakers. Now, if, if folks on this uh, podcast don't know, TED is, um, is a, a program that has speakers go and talk about certain, certain topics, whether it's you know, science or sports. Um, it's, it's a tough process to go through. Uh, it's called... Um, pardon no, it's called TED, TED Talks, but uh, they talk about um, design and technology and uh, other other topics. But anyway, it's a one-hour podcast. It's great for listening on the airplane. So I would I would recommend that, uh, that podcast. Okay. And I've got an odd pick this week. Um, I'm starting on a bathroom redesign. My daughter's bathrooms just got – I gutted it. Uh, this past week, and uh, I'm now uh, painting the cabinets that are in there, and I have been introduced to what's called chalk paint. Now, when I first heard chalk paint, I thought, oh, it's paint like for a chalkboard. (laughs) Well, that's not what it is. Um, This paint is, it it allows you to give uh, your paint a very interesting um, um, antique style of look it has some faux to it uh you actually put wax on the surface after the paint goes on and it gives it a a a very very interesting very interesting look it's um uh, you can do a lot of things with the paint as far as how you want to make something look very rustic or very antique-ish or give it a very interesting sheen so with with the paint itself you can do a lot of interesting things um, Annie Sloan is the paint that we're actually using um, and we actually found it at a antique store and had seen it on 
several houses that uh, we've got friends that uh, have used it on different things. So uh, it's kind of been cool learning about uh, chalk paint. Little odd pick, <laughs> little odd pick this week, but uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's, cool. it's pretty cool. So uh, with that, we're going to go ahead and end our show. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Man vs. Business. Please note that neither Sean nor myself are business consultants. We just have a strong passion for discussing all things business. Please remember to visit sigmatree.co to see our other podcasts, our business ventures, and our blog. And also you can drop us a line on the message page from there. Again, thank you and enjoy your week.